From MIT Technology Review, I'm Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. This episode is brought to you by PwC, a global consulting firm in 158 countries with more than 250,000 people. PwC transforms business outcomes and results, helping companies use digital and emerging tech to reimagine their business, from strategy and operations to tax and finance. Later in the show, I'll be talking with Scott Likens, who heads PwC's new services and emerging tech practice. Scott will share details from a new PwC study on the main trends in artificial intelligence that business leaders need to know about in 2019. But first, we're going to look at some news from an important conference in December on machine learning and computational neuroscience. Our own Will Knight, Technology Review's Senior Editor for Artificial Intelligence, was there. Will, thank you for taking this long trip down the corridor to have this discussion. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about AI and about your beat, but I'd love it if you would tell us about a conference you were at not too long ago uh, in Montreal. Sure, yeah, I'll tell you about this uh, conference called NeurIPS, which is the biggest AI conference of the year. And uh, for me, it really sort of captures the excitement, the, the real progress and, and the hype around AI. So this is an event that uh, maybe 10 years ago was just a, a few dozen researchers, who, who, all of whom happened to be working on deep learning, this, this trend which has now taken the entire tech industry by storm. And so a few years ago, uh, the big tech companies realized that this was going to be a, a phenomenal technology. So this is, I should explain, this is technology which involves using a large simulated neural network, which you train on data, and then it can do started, you know, originally they were demonstrating you could do things like recognize faces in images and, and, and recognize uh, the words that people are speaking. But um, people are applying it to absolutely everything now. So a couple of years ago, the big tech, tech industry realized that this was going to be huge. And fast forward a decade, and now there are literally 10,000 people coming to this event. The, uh, the tickets sold out in 15 minutes, believe it or not. Lots of people couldn't get tickets. There are just dozens and dozens of big big stands. Um, you know, the, the auditorium, the main hall, is absolutely full of people. And it touches on all of the major themes that are very, very important, including, as I, as I say, the, the sort of hype cycle. So w what were the most interesting or maybe surprising things that you learned at NeurIPS? One of the most interesting things, I think, was that there was a huge focus uh, on diversity and bias. So the industry is, is impressive in the sense that it's taking um, some of these social is issues on board and really, you know, they recognize that the, the technology is, is going to be so pervasive and, and um have such a big impact that they need to start thinking about those. And so this, you know, it's not something that maybe computer scientists are normal t uh, normally used to wrestling with, but that's kind of impressive. And I think it's also is Im important for companies, anybody trying to commercialize the technology. You have to think about uh, the, the issues such as bias because you don't want to train systems that are going to then behave in biased ways. That can be a huge, that can cause huge PR problems. It can cause your technology not to work as well. So it can cause bad outcomes too, right? You bad can outcomes, completely yeah. miss an opportunity. Yeah, you miss, right, you miss opportunities. You know, companies like even Google, which is probably the one of the most advanced AI companies on earth, is, is experiencing problems with some of its, has experienced problems with its image recognition systems that are biased maybe towards, you know, certain races. And as you say, like, 
no matter where you're going to be deploying this, you might you might end up with results that are not representative, that are not the ones you want to act on. So it's a it's a very important issue, um, and that was something that really struck me from the conference. Great. So tell us more about some of the people that were telling stories at NeurIPS or showing their technology. You know, what are the two or three things that you saw that you could, you know, that you've come back and sort of tell the family and uh, <laughs> tell the folks in the office about? I don't know about tell my family, but I, but maybe. Um, well, one of the things is that hardware is cool again. So, uh, you know, we have had a, few, a number of decades where there's a lot of interest in algorithms and in big data sets. But now people are realizing that the computer chips themselves, which are normally, you know, think are, are just too costly, too hard to, to really innovate on that much on, people have, have realized that, um, and it reflects the fact that AI is such a big deal, that it's worth redesigning these chips. So you have a whole bunch of chip startups. You have Intel also talking about its chip, its new chip designs, all designed around deep learning. So it's an amazing kind of, uh, you know, turnaround and it's going to affect the whole chip industry and, and has as we write in a recent issue of Tech Review, you know, this is something that affects uh, the, the the global innovation landscape with China trying to improve its its chip industry. So you're referring to an article that you published in our China issue, which is out in January, February. Um, and in this China issue, you write an article about China's push to develop an AI chip. Yeah. Um, talk about that race and is that some of what makes hardware cool again that there is in fact there are stakes to be absolutely. to be um fought for absolutely yeah so the, it's you know the catching up in the chip industry has been a huge challenge for china it's incredibly difficult to do but the fact that you've got this big technological shift like it once in a sort of generation one means that it's now possible the 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 playing field is leveled a little bit and so you have a huge amount of activity in China with these companies coming up with AI chips um, both ones to run on devices and ones to run in in the cloud and so yeah this is there's a lot of uh, you know the trade war is largely the current trade war is largely focused on chips but um, one thing I think a lot of people aren't realizing is that the the game may be changing slightly and China may may be able to get a, a bit of a leg up in terms of some of the new chip architectures. Uh, that'll be interesting to watch. What are the companies in China that um, folks listening to this should begin to gain familiarity with? Well, there's, there are several startups that are they're still, uh, I say they're relatively small, they're, they're, they're unicorns, so they're worth billions of dollars, which show, shows you, tells you how much the chip innovation industry is worth. So one is Cambricon, which is backed by the Chinese Academy of Sciences, um, Horizon Robotics is another one. I spoke to the CEO of that company. Um, Bitmain is another one, which is kind of a fascinating company. It started out making chips for crypto mining, for Bitcoin mining, and has pivoted, um, as everybody in China has had to, away from the, the crypto mining to, um, to AI chips. So there's a lot of activity going on there, um, and it's just been fascinating to watch this, because the other thing that I really... You know, discovered in reporting this is, or you know, brought home reporting it is that chips are so fundamental to other areas of innovation. You know, um, advances in chips are going to power self-driving cars, 5G networks, uh, cloud computing. So this is really a foundational technology. You mentioned hype uh, and hype around AI versus the reality. So what's this about? Tell us more. Well, I think this is a really fascinating subject. As someone who covers AI, and I'm very interested in the history. You know. The, um, the industry has been through these, these cycles of boom and bust, and seeing what's happening now, it, it, this is I'm I have mixed feelings because there's amazing progress and there's there's amazing commercial benefits coming out of the the technologies being developed, but there is clearly uh, a huge amount of hype, and I, I think you can see some of the 
some of the AI researchers clearly, including some of the organizers of NeurIPS, are worried about this kind of snowballing and there being unreasonable expectations. And I think it's actually also a, a, a practically a really important question because companies, you know, will, are rushing, and rightly so, to, to try and commercialize the technology. But there's a lot of hucksters out there trying to sell their latest AI, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of unreasonable kind of uh, expectations. And so if you move too quickly and if you aren't careful, um, you, you might mess things up. But uh, again, you don't want to be left behind. So I think this it's kind of one of the most fascinating things to me is how do companies who maybe don't have that AI expertise, how do they benefit from this without being, um, you know, sucked in and, and, and misled by some of the hype? And that is exactly what our listeners want to know, because they're following along mm-hmm. with the AI stories. And maybe some of those stories are hype stories, or maybe they're actually giving it to them straight. So what would you advise sort of a business executive listening to think about when it comes to commercialization and the way AI is likely to play into their companies day to day? I think that's a great question. And I, I think one of the things I've noticed is um, it always seems very important to have a mixture of AI experts and domain experts in any any place where you're applying the technology. So if you take something like medicine, when you see just a machine learning experts trying to do something, I think that they'll they often run into problems. And so having some combination of expertise seems very important. Um, I recently actually spoke with Andrew Ng, who's a, a real pioneer in AI and has has worked um, both at Google and Baidu in uh, trying to in helping them commercialize the technology. So really at the forefront of that, and he came up with a playbook for how to how to use AI. And one of the and he you know he, he told me that uh, a lot of CEOs he's he's talked to um, are making real mistakes. They're pouring money in and, and and making errors. And one of the things that he he said is you know like just because you have a huge amount of data, it doesn't mean you want to, you, you're necessarily going to get value from it. And um, you need to really sort of think about how you're going to use it. He he also suggested having uh, small example cases where you kind of test out the approach rather than kind of revolutionize your entire company because sometimes. Uh, there may be approach, you know, it may just be the case that your your company is not going to be totally AI first. It, you know, you, you may use it in certain areas. And I think also just exploring different techniques because uh, as we've been talking about, deep learning is incredibly uh, important, incredibly powerful, but sometimes other techniques might be, might be quite useful as well. Yeah, I mean, I have to say as a CEO, I'm constantly getting emails from people who want to sell me one or another quote unquote AI solution um, to some imagined or projected uh, challenge that I face. Uh, And I'm guessing that many people listening to this are also recipients of those kinds of emails. So how do we think about where do we even go? Um, I mean, I can think of ways of using AI uh, in MIT Technology Review. We are doing certain things with our data, um, but I don't think it's going to be the silver bullet. and you know, I guess the question is for companies that do have tremendous amounts of data, and you know, that are are aware that their competitors are making, um, you know, making gaining ground mm-hmm. through use of AI. Yeah. What are they? You know, where do you suggest people people look? Yeah, I I, th- I think that you know, building up expertise in a in a careful way and combining it with your existing business expertise is probably the the key thing. You know, I, I, in any situation, I. I think that, so for example, when you look at Kaggle, which is this famous platform for data science, um, really, and, and Google bought it, and it's really f- sort of a foundation um, for a lot of people who go into AI, and, and um, the people who do really well at that are not people who are the, the greatest 
necessarily just the greatest mathematicians or algorithm developers. They usually go off and they research the problem in a very, very deep way. So they understand this particular, you know, image recognition problem or optimization problem. So I think that that's really key to remember. And, and companies that are just going on and on about AI, AI are, are probably not, you know, that that's to me is always a red flag. I think you want to talk about where you're actually, how you're deploying it and where the results are coming from. So, Will, uh, what are the other things that business leaders need to be thinking about doing kind of foundationally as they get ready to either set their AI strategy or set the strategy for their AI strategy? Right. Well, so uh, one point brought up by Andrew Ng was, I think, a very good one, which is figure out, you know, what your strategy is regarding your data. So, um, and that may well involve, you know, figuring out uh, how to label it, how to get it, how to collect it, how to make sure it's in all in the in the, the uh, comparable format, which is a, not an inconsiderable challenge also. Can you tell us why labeling data is so important? Yeah, so you need to label data, for, especially for something like deep learning, because um, without having labels applied to it, say if you're, if you're trying to have a machine learn to recognize images of dogs in, in, in photographs, you know, without those previous examples, it, it doesn't have anything to learn from. It's just raw data. There are approaches which um, are unsupervised, which don't require labeling. But in most cases, you know, the, and, and the most sort of powerful examples of deep learning, you have to go in and, and mark up your data to give, give the system examples. And then going forwards, it's able to perform often, you know, as well as a person in, in order to do things. But so say if you were in a medical imaging business, you, you uh, it, it's vitally important. You can't just throw your data into this algorithm, you need to go have people go and um, label the data, often in, in great detail, so that the the algorithm can then can then learn from it. So yeah, I think uh, taking a having a data strategy is probably an incredibly important thing. You need to you need to figure out what the opportunities are, uh, and definitely think about how you go about labeling and, and managing it. So it's given that it's now 2019. Well, what are you excited about when it comes to your reporting on AI for this year? So I'm, one thing I'm very excited about, I think everybody's really excited about, is the emergence of this technique called, uh, or these t this tool called GANs, which are generative adversarial networks. We've written about them, explaining about them if you, need, if you want to learn more about how they work. But essentially what they're able to do is um, learn from data and then synthesize uh, examples of that data. And practically speaking, that means they can do things that are kind of astounding, like generate artificial um, celebrities, generate complete scenes from scratch. Um, and it has huge practical applications for things like um, video gaming and, and CGI. But it's also kind of profoundly interesting in terms of just allowing people to kind of manipulate and, and, and generate fake video. And, and, and that obviously has a, uh, some slightly concerning um, implications when we consider fakery and fake news, um, but it's a, it's a pretty amazing tool and, and something that's only emerged in the last few years, which is extremely exciting. I'm, and I'm fascinated to see where that goes next, for sure. You've done some stories, um, including a video, if I'm not wrong, using yeah, technique using, like this. That's right. I, I did I did this for a, for our issue on dedicated to politics, and I the one of the things that's amazing is the, these tools. People have created some uh, you know off the shelf software for, for using these tools. So even someone like me was able to to swap the one person's face onto another in video in an almost seamless way. Um, so I took uh, Ted Cruz and put him on Dancing Paul Rudd just to, just to show that it's possible to do this. And um, 
you know, and yeah, and I, I looked into the the idea of uh, computer forensics, and and one thing that's kind of amazing is that the experts in this field are, are quite concerned because they the 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 very nature by which GANs works means that it's um, it's adversarially trained. It's a trained against means to detect fakery. So it's maybe virtually impossible to detect these these things, um, which which may change the way we come to view video in in the future. For example. Um, when you see something, uh, you know, pop up on on social media, it's probably going to be quite important not to assume that that's the ground truth, right? Because it could be generated by by anybody. And these things are getting better and better. What else? <laughs> so another topic that um, I think is going to be very important. Yeah, you're seeing just because AI is such a such a powerful technology and such an important technology, this is becoming a um, a real political issue, and not just in terms of governments pouring a lot of money into it. You've heard about. China doing that, the US is getting ready to put a lot more money into it, and Canada and so forth. But people are starting to think about the, the technology is, is so important, so powerful that we, we're going to have to have some some standards. And, and um, I was recently at an event in, actually, sorry, I was recently at NeurIPS, where at a secondary event at the G7, um, the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, came and, and talked about this, uh, this, this plan for a um, a panel based on the IPCC, the climate change panel about AI that, that uh, Canada and France are putting together, and they want to they, they want to bring in other G, G7 members to talk about issues such as you know how do we use AI for surveillance, how do we deal with things like bias, should we have AI weapons? So it's going to be really fascinating to see how that pans out, and to see especially given the rise of China, which is um, you know in in some ways there's a, there's there's rising tension but maybe there's going to be opportunities for for collaboration and we're, we're certainly as a global society going to have to figure these things out so it's going to be fascinating to watch that. Will, thank you so much. I look forward to reading your coverage in 2019. Thank you for having me. This episode of Business Lab is brought to you by PwC, the global audit and assurance tax and consulting firm. Among many other things, PwC helps clients identify opportunities to put technology to better use. The company compiled a list of the essential eight technologies that matter most for business today. Artificial intelligence was at the beginning of that list, not surprisingly. And just recently, the company issued a list of six predictions for the most important AI strategies that business leaders should be considering in 2019. Here to talk with us about those predictions is Scott Likens, who's PwC's new services and emerging tech leader. Uh, Scott, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so this role of new services and emerging technology leader really connects nicely with what we do um, and what we cover at MIT Technology Review. And I know that you and colleagues at your firm advise business leaders to pay attention to the essential eight and those were AI, augmented reality, blockchain, drones, IoT, robotics, virtual reality, and 3D printing. That's a great list. It definitely coincides with our coverage here. But notably, I note that uh, AI was the very first on the list. It was. And I'm wondering if that is specific or if that's alphabetical order, <laughs> uh, or if there's some, if some uh, larger rationale for that. You figured us out. Uh, it's alphabetical, <laughs> but it's easy to have it as an alphabetical because then you can't argue about what's the most important of the eight. And that's one of the messages we're, we're really standing behind is these eight, while they're emerging technologies, they're the essential eight. You have to be thinking about all of these no matter what your business is. 
To what extent do you see the advances in AI undergirding the other emerging technologies on your list, in a sense? So, so this is the year we actually came out with our, our convergence themes because it, it became time for AI to really be the amplifier versus you know just the solution. So if you think about the investment in AI, again, for decades, of course, but in the last five years, we've had access to data, you know, at scale that we've never had before because of cloud. And, you know, you don't hear the term big data anymore, but, you know, the, the sense of data coming from everywhere. But if you started to look at the maturity because of that, you know, we started to look at IoT to get more data from devices. We started to look at virtual reality to to embed or create an experience. And AI was was absolutely critical. So I, I think that's been the, the pivot. There's been this acceptance that AI is something we're going to do. But now we have to actually build it into, you know, how do we create the mechanics of, of the value behind AI? And we needed those endpoints. And, and I think a lot of the other essential eight gave us those endpoints that made it very real to a business or to a customer or to an employee. I, I've heard many uh, sort of a, an AI proponents say that when AI is used to automate repetitive or tedious tasks or sort of rote mechanical um, activities, that humans will be freed up to do things that humans are best at, like analysis or like connection person to person, either customer care or medical care or whatever. Do you see that as actually what's happening? Or are you seeing some companies using productivity and efficiency increases to shrink the size of their white-collar workforce? Yeah, let's just go up right at the issue, right? Is AI taking away jobs? It, it is. Uh, you know, in the sense of the jobs changing, that means the job could be gone. Um, but we're seeing the investment in moving the workforce up that curve of what we're doing. You know, I can say we as PwC realize the job of an accountant is changing. If you think back 30 years when the spreadsheet didn't exist, the spreadsheet came out, it changed the job of how we do everything about accounting. We're in that same curve today. And I think the knowledge workers have to realize it's not a bad thing, right? We're going we're gonna to up our game as humans and do the new stuff. And, you know, I, I think we're, we're helping people through that transition. The workforce of the future is going to look different. We're going to use, you know, mind plus machine to be more efficient and if you look at our, our AI predictions in, 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 I think, 2017, we looked at, you know, the impact on GDP by 2030 of AI was around $15.7 trillion. About half of that was in operational savings, but the other half was in, you know, really opening up new markets, um, new products, new businesses, um, new ways for us to actually engage customers. So there's a good upside there. So I, I think we have to balance the fact and just accept the fact that jobs will change, which means some go away in the sense of the mechanics of what they do. But those folks, those those individual resources could actually, you know, should come along in that journey. And that workforce of the future will always use automation and technologies to their benefit and make that pivot. So if roughly half of the economic benefit that AI will have for us will come from savings and greater efficiencies, and the other half will come from new products and services. Can you give us some concrete examples of what you have in mind and say what areas are ripest for AI-assisted improvement? Sure. So so I think the two that jump out at me, and I, I just spent the last five years in China, which was pretty amazing. If you think about what happened around AI, you know, there's huge investments because China had a, a market that had tons of data, right? They, they started with collecting and getting you know data, uh, and and then made these big investments in AI 
to actually understand consumer behavior at a really granular level. So when you, when you, when you ask about the specific examples, let me start with the easy one for me is financial services. So whether it's banking or insurance, you know, we've lived in this world, obviously it's a highly regulated industry and there's a lot of rigor that needs to be put around it. But at the same time, the products haven't really changed, you know, quite honestly in insurance, maybe in a hundred years. But if you think about the ability to craft a very bespoke coverage or protection for an individual, it's, it's really hard to do today. AI is giving us the ability to actually understand the consumer behavior, you know, you know, very um, intelligently and could actually allow us to create bespoke products on demand in this real time world we live in. And you're starting to see that already. I think retail and consumers, another easy one. Um, if we think about the way products are manufactured today, they're, they're very much a, you know, there's there's ideation and innovation, but then there's products pushed out to the market and we, we try and find customers to, to, to buy them versus really creating, again, bespoke products based on customer behaviors. You start to combine things like 3D printing or on-demand manufacturing. AI could be almost improving products that I bought specifically for me because it understands much more about what I'm going to want based on the data it has access to, to about me as a person. I'd be very interested from your vantage point in understanding why you think it's so hard for leaders to get their heads around AI and, and sort of really going at the obstacles that are in their way. Yeah, sure. I, I think two things, you know, jump to my mind. One is, you know, the structure of most organizations don't support AI. I think we went through a wave of what I call big data onto analytics, which was tough enough because we started to try and understand organizations across silos of business units or operating units. Um, so we got we got there. Now we're in this wave of AI, which which again breaks down those barriers. So we, we're seeing executives embracing, you know, this this momentum around AI, but not understanding how actually to to tap into it. So AI has also been, you know, quite academic in the sense of it was a very unique skill set and, and we understood that it could maybe help our business, but we weren't able to, to tie that to a, a you know a return on investment. So we have to actually change the entire model, you know, across the organization. So I think that makes it really hard, and executives are struggling um, around how do we actually, you know, elevate AI. Uh, so one of the, the the things we asked them in our in our current survey, fifty nine percent plan to really invest in the data and AI specifically across the entire organization versus you know having to do it individually within business units. So, so pulling it out in a way that they can actually use it. Um, you know, across the organization, but it's a it's a tough operating model. You know, it's a it's a very unique skill sometimes, and where it sits, we we asked uh, again the executives, and it wasn't there wasn't a clear winner on did it sit in a business unit, did it sit under the CIO, was it a center of excellence? It was it was pretty um, evenly split. So I think that you know we're still trying to decide what the best operating model around AI specifically is, and I think that's all infused in this in this struggle of who's going to go first. I'm going to wait for those those great case studies that make me kind of rally around the investment. Um, we're, we're still in that gray area of, of, of how we're going to get this infused in our business. So what do you do first? I've heard you say that organizations shouldn't shoot for the moon right. or think that AI is going to transform the business overnight as some sort of magic silver bullet. What does a business leader need to think about doing first and where should she set her expectations uh, for the near term? I think she should demystify AI. You know, I, it, it's not magic in the sense of what it's doing. I think we have to accept the fact that it's here. 
Um, we've had the quote unquote AI winters. Um, I, I think we're over that now. We now have the data. We now have the access to understand more and more about businesses, more and more about customers. I think you should make some big bets on the business in the sense of the areas that this will actually be accretive and beneficial to everything we're doing. And we should we should chip away at, you know, small pieces. And, you know, you see opportunities within the operations side of the house of so finance and HR and, and, and things that we, we have a lot of manual effort. We can use AI and automation to really help us there. At the same time, we have to get the word out to our employees and our customers that this is a, a good thing in general. It's not that jobs are just going away, that jobs are changing and it's changing for the better. So we have to get, you know, we have to start that journey now and we have to, to show them the power of what this could do for our, for our company, for our society, whatever it is, you know, whatever the mission of, of this leader um, organization, we should rally around that and figure out ways to do both at the business level and the community level, small experiments to show the value, to understand and demystify and just get started. Well, Scott, thank you very much. I think you've given us useful frameworks and ways of getting started with AI. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you. Appreciate the time. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Elizabeth Bramson Boudreau. I'm the CEO and publisher of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You can find us in print, on the web, at dozens of live events each year, and now in audio form. For more information about us, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. The producer for this episode is Wade Rausch with editorial help from Mindy Blodgett. Thank you to our sponsor, PwC, a global network with one goal to solve important problems and build trust in society. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with our next episode.